You're listening to the podcast of the Biopharmaceutical Section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, folks, and welcome to the show. This is Richard Zink, and you're listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. This is episode 44, and it features what has become an annual tradition for the podcast since 2012, a conversation about your favorite meeting and mine, the Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop. It's that annual pilgrimage of 800-plus statisticians to Washington, D.C. to discuss and address the challenges of applying statistics to medical product development. This time, we focus on the 2017 workshop with co-chairs Whaley He and Martin Ho. Now, this is the fifth podcast for the workshop, and over the last five years, I'm amazed at how the meeting continues to grow and evolve, and this year is no exception, as we'll hear in just a few moments. Note that the 2017 workshop runs September 25th through the 27th at the Marriott Wardman Park. Get registered! Advanced conference registration closes August 30th, so save yourself a few dollars and register for the meeting, and two short courses. As a reminder for these discussions, please note that people are sharing their personal opinions, so please don't overinterpret their comments as representing the groups or organizations with which they participate. Now, let's start the show. Hi, folks. Our topic today is the 2017 Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop. Today, I'm talking with Whaley He, Head of Global Medical Affairs Statistics at AbbVie and Industry Co-Chair for the 2017 Workshop and Martin Ho, Associate Director for Quantitative Innovation at the Center for Devices and Radiologic Health at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, and the Regulatory Co-Chair for the 2017 Workshop. Hey, thanks for being here. Thank you for inviting us. Whaley, let's get to know a little bit about you. How did you become interested in statistics? Well, it's a good question. So um, in my undergraduate studies, uh, I studied the computer science and information system, um, the curriculum was actually very heavy in math, and then uh, we actually got exposure to probabilities and statistics um, in our undergrad. So I got the interest in probability and stats. That's just so new to, to me. Um, when I came to U.S., I was initially working for a professor in University of Florida, and um, I did a lot of pro- uh, computer programming for the professor on whatever project. Uh, I now don't really recall, but at that time, I was also looking through what exactly I'm going to do. So um, UIF has had a strong stats program at the time. It's still strong. And then I look into it, and I like a sort of audited some of the two actually basic stats theory course. I, re- I got a good grade, and I really like it, so I applied. That's how I got into the uh, master program in their uh, university, mm-hmm. and that's how I got started. Mm. How did you end up uh, at the pharmaceutical industry? I think, you know, at the time we have to find a job eventually, yeah. and uh, I actually I have uh, 
some relatives in Boston area, so mm. I, I looked into that and saw, oh, you know, Harvard School, School of Public Health mm. was hiring in their AIDS clinical trial center. So uh, they actually hire master degree statisticians, and that's how I got into the uh, initially into the biostats area. And then later on, my husband moved to New York City, and then I had to follow. So I got a job at Merck. Okay. Yeah. Well, can you give us a little more detail about your current responsibilities? Sure, sure. Um, so as you know, I was at Merck for a long time. Um, really focusing on late-stage clinical trials development. So, um, you know, the focus is more on phase two to phase three type of clinical development. I move around with the therapeutic areas uh, from time to time, which is very interesting to me. But then eventually, after doing a lot of, you know, late-stage programs with different therapeutic areas, but still very similar sort of, you know, methodologies. I thought I want to do something new, at least learn something new and, and broaden my uh, scope of work or mm -hmm. knowledge. So this opportunity came along from Ivy. They were hiring a head of global medical fair statistics. That's definitely something new to me. So I thought I'd give it a try. So, uh, you know, that's how I got to Ivy. So it's been five months. Um, what I'm doing here now is really this new group. So I'm actually defining the roles and responsibilities and obviously getting input from tons of people and then uh, getting approval eventually for what we define to do. Um, so my group, the primary uh, responsibilities, is going to support the global medical affairs uh, sponsor studies, both in designs and also in study protocol mm -hmm. development. And also, as a global medical affairs, we definitely support a lot of publications, you know, in terms of abstract uh, presentation manuscripts of all kinds for all the separate areas in my role. And also evidence generation um, strategies and tactical uh, executions. That that's really involve a lot of usage of real world evidence mm. and how we utilize that to support company goals. Very good. And Martin, welcome back to the podcast. You've participated before in episode thirty four discussing patient preferences and medical product evaluation uh, back in October two thousand sixteen. What have you been up to since that time? Um, thank you. Uh, I uh, it's been nice to be back. Uh, I, since then, uh, there's a lot of uh, uh, a lot of developments uh, occurred uh, at the FDA within my center and also across the whole FDA. Uh, let's focus on my center, a center for devices and radiological for health first. Um, since we talked, um, we have received multiple uh, patient preference information submissions to support uh, the clinical evidence submitted by the uh, sponsors. And I have a great fun working with uh, individual reviewers uh, across the centers um, uh, in various uh, therapeutic areas and also at uh, different regulatory stage. So I can't wait to see these uh, cases being uh, approved, and then I can publicly share that with the audience and, and the public. 
And uh, in parallel to that, uh, I'm also interested with the responsibility to uh, develop capacity uh, to review those information within the whole center. So I have been establishing uh, training programs along with uh, the curriculums and competency requirements. And beyond my center, I'm very pleased to, uh, to tell everyone that across the three medical centers, CEDAR, CBER, and CDRH, we are going to have a um, public workshop on uh, advancing patient preference information as scientific evidence uh, for regulatory consideration in December. Once we have the date uh, and details finalized, I would be happy to share the links and information so that you can register for that to take part in that uh, workshop. Sounds great. And and there was a recently published guidance on patient preferences. That's correct? Yes. Yes. And the publishing of a, a patient preference guidance uh, information is very important because, uh, as we all know, the guidance uh, purpose is to make it transparent and people knows. Uh, what we would expect and how it can help their submissions. So um, having a, a guidance available and re- being referred to is, would really help to um, for people to uptake uh, or use or consider patient preference information for their submissions. Very good. Now you're co-chairs for the 2017 Regulatory Industry Statistics Workshop. Mm-hmm. This year's theme is value to patients, benefits, risks, and costs. How did you arrive at this theme, and, and what new insights do you hope attendees will learn? We statisticians have been working very hard to um, establish the position uh, and unbiasedness of uh, the benefits and risk, uh, but we never having a focus on the very reasons that why, why we are conducting these studies. They are the patients and provide treatment uh, benefit to them. So this year, um, we decided to have a, um, a focus on the ultimate goal of public health on clinical trials and non-clinical trials, meaning patients. So when we come when it comes to patients, the very questions that comes to the statistician's mind is the benefit and risk trade-off. A lot of times uh, we have been deeply involved in clinical trial design and analysis, but the waiting part of the benefit and risk often are not being part of our job description. Mm-hmm. So as a result of this workshop, we hope we can encourage um, the statisticians to look beyond our traditional goal and to uh, to do some work uh, on, and some research on these very important and emerging uh, areas, meaning the benefit-risk assessment. Whaley, if I'm correct, you are a co-editor for um, a benefit-risk book. Is that correct? Yes. Yes. Yeah, do you want to tell us a little bit about that and... Sure. The goals of the book and what you were trying to um, yeah. So that's uh, you know the background from that was that we started the working group in twenty late twenty thirteen. At the time, we really realized there's so much um, I think activities in in the uh, European side, but then the participants mostly is now statisticians. So we saw the. One is that we want to bring the benefit risk as a, such an important topic to U.S. and to U.S. Uh, uh, tri- clinicians and trialists, but also want to contribute in a way that we know the best, the quantitative skill set into the benefit risk assessment. So we we uh, we have organized a group of people from academia, from um, from regulatory, and also from industries. Um, so about you know. 15, 20 people at the time. 
And then we start thinking after a while, really surveyed and studied landscape of what's, go, what's there, especially with IMI Protect, uh, what the output they have. Then we thought, okay, there are still uh, things that we could contribute more on the benefit, uh, the quantitative side. Mm-hmm. So that's how we sort of organized uh, a, a group of people and provided the outline of what is, we think are important, but it's not still not out there yet. And then invite people to, to write in terms of a regulatory landscape in both in Europe and in the U.S., and uh, what's what's the future of benefit risk? Basically, you know, in some of leading experts' views, and then provide the methodology, uh, existing methodology, and also the uh, patient preference, you know, information how to solicit that type of information, and then provide a lot of uh, detailed methodologies in the book, and then. Um, in the last section of the book, is uh, we had five, basically, uh, I would say three chapters on case studies. Mm. Because whenever you talk about some new topics, you want to give people how to utilize it. So the last three chapters in that book is about 13 chapters. Um, we gave uh, actually examples for yeah, people to follow. Yeah, so that book was published in May 20, 2016. Oh, great. Congratulations yeah. on it. Getting back to the the workshop, what what do you have planned for the plenary this year? This year we are uh, we are have a very special uh, programs uh, developed for the audience. The workshop will begin with uh, a plenary uh, presentation and discussion by uh, an academic leader in Europe as uh, on the pa- on patient preferences and benefit risk assessment. As uh, Wendy had just mentioned, uh, there is a public-private partnership effort in Europe called IMI Protect, and they have created uh, very fruitful and uh, inspiring work, work packages um, that inform people about uh, the relative merits and drawbacks of different methods in benefit risk assessment quantitatively. And so as a result of the generous uh, support from the Biofarm Executive Committee, we are, we are, a- we are able to provide some uh, financial support to uh, invite uh, a speaker from uh, Europe, um, Imperial College London specifically. Her name is a Professor um, uh, Deborah Ashby, and she's not only the leader of the uh, IMI Protect project, but she's also the head of the clinical trial unit uh, of uh, Imperial College London. So she has uh, wearing um, two hats at the same time. And so therefore, she would be the perfect person to give us some insight about this brave new world on benefit risk assessment and how the, the statisticians can play a, uh, a, a evolving role in that uh, new area. So after... After um, Professor Ashby's presentation, we are going to have a panel of um, the FDA's um, biostatistics principles plus uh, another uh, industry representative, uh, Ian Hirsch. And he's currently at uh, AstraZeneca, but he used to work at uh, EMA. So he would be able to provide some very insightful comments on how to lead as a statistician in uh, in this um, e- emerging benefit risk assessment area, mm. uh, and the secondary uh, and the second plenary sessions, we are going to showcase some recent development uh, in the benefit risk assessment methodology that uh, incorporate patient preference information uh, at a patient level. 
I will first start off the, the session with some, uh, an overview of um, our center's effort uh, in, this, in this area, and I may be able to also provide some of the recent development in my sister centers as well. And then Professor Roger Lewis um, from uh, UCLA, uh, he will be able to talk a little bit about how to use patient preferences utility to, to design uh, a Bayesian adaptive design, uh, adaptive enrichment trial for treatment of uh, acute stroke. And uh, that is a very important study because uh, it combined um, not only the patient, uh, patient viewpoint, but also it leveraged on uh, a unique situation for stroke, uh, for acute stroke endpoint, which is uh, one single endpoint that captured both the benefits and risk mm -hmm. of the patient. So because of these specific combinations, um, he can leverage them to uh, design a very beautiful and, and interesting uh, Bayesian adaptive enrichment trial. This presentation will be followed by um, Dr. Scott Evans from Harvard. Um, he will talk a little bit about the pragmatic benefit-risk evaluation in health disruption for clinical trial and diagnostic studies. He will be talking uh, a few case studies of his recent research on these um, these two areas. Martin really covered it as well, so we are just very excited and be able to invite the leading expert in the uh, patient-centric uh, benefit risk assessment in the two plenary sessions. Well, the short courses are also a very important part of every workshop. It's an opportunity for some very affordable in-person training on uh, important topics. What's available this year? So, so actually this year, uh, similar to last year's, uh, we selected eight short courses very competitively, actually, from a number of uh, uh, submissions. What we focus on is really the topics that are contemporary, state of art, but also having a great draw to people because they could take the short courses content and utilize them in in their uh, in their work. So what do we have? For example, we have a short course in data visualization, fertility analysis. You know, that designs fertility analysis is really important in. Um, effectively or efficiently designing our clinical trials and, and uh, you know, if we have to sort of uh, stop study for fertility, how you want to do it, what are the right methods and procedures. So we have a short course on that. Also, multi-regional clinical trials is really a, a topic of great interest to a lot of people because our trials um, are almost always uh, multi-regional. And what are the considerations you, you want to uh, think about for specific countries? So that's definitely something that's of interest, and we have a short course in that. As Martin mentioned uh, about, you know, our secondary plenary session keynote speech, we have, you know, Bayesian uh, type design, Bayesian uh, benefit risk assessment type of designs. And we also have in the uh, Bayesian type designs for immunotherapy and, and the drug combination trials. That, that's another um, topic. Patient preference, uh, patient uh, PROs, patient report outcomes is definitely always of interest and in how we measure, how we uh, implement and interpret. So that's uh, a short course, I'm sure, that will draw a lot of people. 
and the personalized medicines, how to design innovative clinical trials, but not only in the concept and rationale, but the case studies as well. Uh, this is one I think that will sure draw a lot of interest in attending this short course. We also have another one to uh, define the treatment effects in randomized clinical trials, how that will entail. That will be another one that, um, that hopefully people will be interested in. And, and the methodology is always uh, important in you know, how we analyze clinical trial data. And then we also have a generalized linear, linear mix model and uh, with applications try, uh, short course uh, for people to choose from. Mm. So that's pretty much covers uh, what we have this year. Some uh, diverse content. Uh, hope they uh, fill up. And roundtables are a unique opportunity to have face-to-face discussions with individuals who share similar interests. Are there any uh, particular roundtables to highlight this year? Yes, um, we are very pleased to announce that this year, we are, for the first time, we will have uh, a luncheon format. Um, the topic of that luncheon uh, roundtable would be real-world evidence. Um, I think the important part of this luncheon is that it not only focusing uh, on therapeutic, but also including the diagnostic worldview as well. So um, I think it's a very exciting uh, concept, and we hope to see a great success in that format. And if so, then perhaps the next few years, we will consider um, uh, an alternative format for the traditional roundtable uh, discussions. In some, we have uh, 32 roundtables this year. and yeah, But uh, I think it, depending on the availability of the table and also the, uh, the capacity of the venue, it may change in the coming years. So you, the, the uh, real-world evidence round table this is uh, for an entire room so yes yes okay. uh, for entire room uh, is up to 60 people up to 60 wow yes that's a, a good topic it's been a lot of interest in it lately and do you feel that uh, as far as the round tables with the addition of the poster session do you uh, are you find it, is it harder to attract round table topics uh, we don't think so because i think what we uh, follow from last year yeah, that we have a sort of a separate time frame for roundtable and the posters. And also last year we had a really successful poster sessions and that's actually drawn about 20 or 21, but actually more than those, right? And then uh, we accepted about 20 posters for this play. And then uh, we want to follow the success of last year. And in addition, not only that we continue with the, the, the same last year with the poster, we also provided with the generous support of ASA Biofarm section uh, committee to uh, have the reward, you know, basically for the top three places for, um, for the poster competition. So that will surely draw, uh, I think, a greater interest and then a greater, um, uh, more audience to the posters, uh, competi- uh, poster showings as well, um, g- given the quality and, the, you know, the, the interest. Yes, I want to add that last year we've, we've already have a very interesting, uh, you know, competition result. But this year with the cash award, hopefully more people will be very motivated to submit their posters on time so that the, uh, review, the poster committee can review them and have uh, a much more uh, interesting competition. Um, so I think it's uh, definitely a very positive development. 
Yeah, personally, I thought the uh, so last year was the first year of the posters, and I don't think I've ever been uh, at a meeting with a poster session that was uh, so jam-packed with people walking around and uh, exploring the poster, so it was really uh, nice to see, and uh, I'm glad that uh, we're able to continue to do it this year. So will there be a special issue for statistics and biopharmaceutical research this year? We are going to have a, another special issue with the workshop this year. The ways we try to prepare for it and really try to attract uh, quality contributions um, are two ways we are doing it. One is that we um, we have identified 10 sessions and speakers and given the based on the quality of uh, of their publication in the past but also based on the interest of what they are they are going to present and, and all the sessions uh, session topics that they are going to cover so we send them the invitations and got some response and another way that we are trying to also open up to the country general contributions which we already send the communications to all the session organizers speakers panels discussions as well and then uh, we posted um, in the uh, in our website as well with the information so the timeline for submission is basically from August 1st to November 30th. What we also want to do is uh, so that we can have a more timely re submission, review, and the publication that we want to get um, the uh, workshop steering committee's basically uh, agreement or, or survey of people who are interested to serve as reviewers. Mm. So And then communicate the timelines with them uh, ahead of time. Um, so that hopefully, you know, by November 30th, we got all the submissions. We will be able to start reviewing them over the winter break um, with some round of reviews, but uh, with a shorter timeline for both the review and also for the revision. So we'll, hopefully we'll target by later next year, 2018, to have this special issue published. Great. And uh, as far as the, the, the special issue, were there uh, some... Uh, invited SBR sessions this year uh, that uh, are going to contribute articles to the special S issue? As uh, Wei Li had mentioned, we have, instead of dedicating a special sessions for SBR publication, mm -hmm. we are uh, preemptively uh, chosen uh, 10 sessions and just po and personally following up with each one of them and mm -hmm. making sure that uh, they have enough encouragement from us to uh, put together a manuscript for publication. So uh, this year, we basically allocate all the sessions, our panel sessions, are uh, and let that let them determined or selected by the votes mm -hmm. of the people who were participating in the organizing committee okay. meeting. Thanks. Okay. Yeah, maybe just to add, um, for the special issues, uh, we have the keynote speaker. Uh, Professor uh, Deborah Ashby, mm -hmm. and she's going to talk about the patient-centric benefit risk analysis uh, assessment in regulatory decision making. So Martin and I will uh, collaborate with Professor Ashby on, on a paper, her talks, and both also more general on the patient-centric uh, benefit risk assessment. Oh, that's exciting. Now, the workshop is constantly evolving. Uh, what's new uh, for 2017? We've already heard a couple things, but um, what else is going on? 
Sure. Um, in addition to the town hall luncheon and uh, also our, the, our first um, biofarm section uh, support the international speaker, we also uh, have a few uh, first time for the workshop. This year, we will be um, providing um, uh, an app for, for the meetings so that people can, so that I can, the attendee can uh, navigate between the workshops of uh, many interesting sessions. And as, I, as we mentioned, to make the poster uh, competition more stiff and rewarding, we offer a cash award. And uh, in this year, we are going to enrich uh, the attendees' um, quality of experience by making sure that we will be providing sufficient AV equipments and tables this is mainly drawing from uh, the feedback that we received from previous years that uh, the presenter feeling that if uh, more mics or, or, uh, or tables or chairs would be provided uh, during the panel discussions, that would be uh, make uh, the, the whole meetings flow more, more uh, fluently. So therefore, as a result, we hear the feedback and we act on that. Well, that's very good. Um, yeah, last year there was a, sort of a last-minute snag in the plenary panel, uh, there, there was, we were short one chair and thankfully we got that resolved <laughs> pretty quickly. So uh, we nobody had to sit on the floor. So that was good. <laughs> well, before we finish up, how do you uh, envision the workshop changing in the future? So, so I think, you know, the workshop had the last, I would say, 10, 20 years have been extremely successful. This is that the 21st uh, workshop. 21st? Yeah. yeah. Okay, wow. So um, so I'm I'm right, 20, 10, 20 yeah. years, right? Yeah. yeah so, so we are sort of uh, the victim of our successes in terms of uh, several areas. One is uh, the uh, we outgrown, um, we almost outgrown our hotel, the meeting location, uh, whereas we have, you know, generally the eight, 800 uh, people uh, sort of cap, but now we we consistently outgrowing that number. We need to find perhaps a new air, new locations for the workshop. Second is because so many people want to get involved because our session quality, you know, speakers, etc. You know, we just have to change our ways of how we select sessions a little bit uh, so that. Uh, more people can get involved mm -hmm. um, to, to really uh, make the planning and also the session selection uh, more successful in the future, get more involvement. So in that sense, actually, you know, Richard, you have been um, spearheading a task force in terms of changing some of the processes uh, to, to really yeah, improve on the enhance and improve on the process. Maybe you can also give a brief overview on that. Sure, I'd be happy to. So um, being a, a past co-chair myself and uh, you two, of course, being in the, in the process currently, uh, you know, we hear the same kind of challenges year after year about space, equipment, different logistical th issues that may have worked once upon a time when the meeting was uh, smaller and uh, maybe when it was FDA only. But, uh, yeah, the opportunity to try to change anything from one year to the next um, is pretty challenging. It's hard enough to, for the uh, steering committee to focus on actually putting the meeting together. So 
We submitted a proposal to the executive committee to, to form this task force, uh, and it's including several people from FDA and uh, several from industry and also the ASA meeting planner, Christina Link. And uh, we're examining different sort of pain points with, uh, within the workshop to try to address them. So our task is really focused on, and, on trying to make some changes. And uh, we uh, will have a number, we'll have some changes next year with the, uh, the organizing committee meeting. Uh, I think this uh, next year will be a, a virtual meeting. We'll have some more discussion about that. But the having the on-site uh, organizing meeting or the in-person organizing meeting, while it is beneficial to, to meet and interact with uh, everybody, it uh, was challenging for other for, for individuals who didn't necessarily live in the D.C. area to attend and, and participate. So uh, we're hoping that the virtual meeting will give everybody, uh, a lot more people, the opportunity to participate and, and have some say uh, in, in the workshop content. But we have uh, a number of other initiatives that we're looking at. And, uh, it, of course, uh, we're interested to hear feedback uh, from uh, the community, if there's issues that uh, you want to raise, please send me an email. And I'm sure many people have seen the survey go out. Uh, and this was an attempt for us to get some data on what people thought about different aspects of the workshop. So we're not just uh, trying to do things blindly. So that's a little bit of uh, what's been going on. But um, yeah, hopefully uh, We'll continue to uh, address some of these uh, issues in the workshop um, so that uh, each year it just keeps getting better and better. Any other thoughts on the on the workshop before we sign off? Um, I think uh, the workshop has long been uh, a proud tradition uh, and collaboration between the industry and the FDA. And so this year is not uh, an exception. In fact, I think because of the changing nature of uh, of the uh, attendees, we felt that uh, we have grown to a point that is, uh, we, we need to uh, change and evolve. So therefore, I'm looking forward to uh, the this year's and also the coming years um, for a better and, and bigger uh, workshop. Waiting. Sure. Um, you know, with, with the, so many people so helping with the, the steering committees, you know, all the organizers and speakers, and uh, we just feel like we are going to have another successful workshop this year. And uh, just want to thank everybody who's involved for their great effort and support. I'd like to encourage listeners to, to visit the workshop website through the main ASA webpage. And the 2017 workshop takes place at the Marriott Wardman Park in Washington, D.C., September 25th through the 27th. So the short courses will be on the 25th with the main program uh, on the second two days. And this is a Monday through Wednesday. Note that the advanced registration ends on August 30th, so if you want to save uh, a little bit of money, uh, register early. Uh, Waylee and Martin, good luck with the final preparation for the workshop. Thank you for having us. Thank you. And there you have it. For more information on the 2017 workshop, go to amstat.org and find the workshop under the meeting tab. Register now. Finally, have an idea for a podcast? Want to get in touch? Send me an email at richard.zink at jump.com. That's richard.zink at jmp.com. Until next time.